the ethos was what brought most of us into the space, either ethos or application. And it really was like about disrupting the financial system. And now I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, there's a chance we might actually do it. This thing might happen, uh, might not be in the way that like all of us thought uh, in the beginning. It might not be the way that all of us sort of love the most, but there, there is a world where this truly disrupts the future of like the financial rails in a, in a way that I, you know, I think we all hoped for, but maybe nobody uh, really, really believed was, was going to happen, at least not in the time frame that it has, which is amazing. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagme Ventures. On today's episode, we have Brian Pellegrino, co-founder and CEO at Layer Zero Labs. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagme Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting builders and founders from across Web3. Check out wagmeventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Brian at Layer Zero Labs. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm here today with Brian Pellegrino, co-founder and CEO at Layer Zero Labs. Brian, what's up? How are you doing today? Tanner, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited to chat. To start, you know, in doing some research about you, fascinating story, right? I, I would love to kind of start really just by learning a little bit more about your path and what brought you to Web3, because you, you actually started in a very different field of poker. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, like I touched my first Bitcoin in 2010, right? So all of the poker community actually had very early exposure into crypto in April 15th, 2011, Black, Black Friday, as it was known in poker, all of the online poker sites were banned in the US. So online poker was banned. Most of us were like, out of a job, all of our, you know, all of our money was frozen in these accounts. And in that happening, all of the uh, payment processors went down. So PayPal, NetTeller, MoneyBooker, Skrill, all, all gone, all the things that people regularly use to move money between the different poker sites at the time. And so from that day forward, basically immediately after all of the kind of shady poker sites that were left started to adopt Bitcoin to, to move money between them. So they took deposits in Bitcoin. They allowed it as like a payments medium, kind of their, their earliest product market fit for Bitcoin was a lot of this gambling related stuff. And then from there... 2013 uh, was when I really heavily got involved, you know, r- running racks and racks of miners in my garage and, you know, uh, everything, ETH, ICO, all of that stuff. And then, you know, fast forward, here, here we are now almost almost 11 years later. So it's been uh, ki- kind of a long journey, have been full time since kind of end of 2016, but have definitely been involved and adjacent to the space for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. You you really don't come across people that have that early of exposure to, I guess, Bitcoin to start. But I think that's a really interesting kind of introduction. So can you unpack what Layer Zero does and you know what kind of offerings are available? Yeah, Layer Zero at its core is is an end-to-end messaging, right? That's really what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to enable communication between blockchains. The way that I've always thought about it and we think about it internally is you go back pre kind of internet stack, right? You have all of these execution environments. And if you wanted to run, like take your data and run it on on a program, you, you would literally need to like take a floppy disk and, you know, go from DARPA to Stanford and like run it physically. And then we invented this, this cool stack of the internet. And all of a sudden, you were able to sort of connect all of these disparate execution environments and, and start to do like some really interesting things and kind of the base primitive of that internet is, is a packet, right? So you really, you really have just kind of, if you think about a packet on the internet, it's just two computers, you have compute an array of bytes and then compute on the other side. So like generate these bytes, 
move the bites and then like ingest them, figure out what to do. And that's, you know, that's how we're talking today. It's how we watch Netflix, how we do all of the cool things that we do on the internet. And that should sound really familiar because right now what we have with blockchains and have had for a very long time is like disparate execution environments that have no way to communicate. So uh, layers are at its core really is arbitrary contract invocation with a bytes array. Uh, you invoke a contract on one chain to generate these bytes, move the bytes and invoke a contract on the other chain to do something. And, and what people do with that has been re- really awesome to see and creative. It's everything from from bridging, you know, lock up a token here, unlock a token there, burn and mint to, to crazy things that people are doing with NFTs and games and in all of these different DeFi primitives and moving state data around. And so really it is meant to be kind of that communication layer between contracts on chains. And it really allows you to send any any arbitrary array of bytes that you can generate from one chain to another. So you can do anything that you can do in a smart contract, you, you can do over layer zero across chains. Perfect. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to jump in on everything you just said, but I think I think first I'd I'd love to go back a little bit to the beginning and really just ask like what was it like setting out to tackle that problem with the infrastructure and kind of environment that existed back at the start? And maybe as part of that, like what were one or two challenges your teams had to really solve along the way that has made the biggest difference? Yeah. So I mean it's it's kind of interesting. People people see kind of where we're at now and they 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 I think there's this lens of like, oh, these these guys are, you know, whatever it is, all this VC alignment, all like we didn't even plan to start a company, right? We're three technologists, my two co-founders, I we were roommates in college. We've been building together for like 16 years. We built multiple companies together. We did academic research together. I've done a million things that failed. Like we were just playing around in the space. And so we were we had just been asked when, when the first on-chain DEXs came, IDEX, Ether Delta, those things, we were asked to create some trading strategies for this hedge fund. And so we started writing writing some on-chain strategies for them and realized that nobody had any clue what they were doing. And so we realized we, you know, this was kind of an interesting emerging space before, you know, MEV really was MEV at the time. And so really it was, you know, ARB, Triangle ARB, all of these different things, but it was just like pure speed. It was the ability to just propagate messages into the mempool faster than anybody, get preferred execution, all of that. And so we were, you know, we were stripping apart Geth and rewriting it for custom node discovery. We're doing all of this stuff. And then one day we just started to see transactions pop up in blocks that were zero gas paid and perfect block position. We were like, oh, the the miners are colluding against us. Like, I, I guess it's a rigged game now. Like, can't do this anymore. And so, uh, you know, this was before Flashbots came in and kind of commoditized this entire process. But at the time, it was just like, you know, if the miners are colluding, there, there's literally nothing you can do. And so... Binance Smart Chain was was really taking off at the time. And you were hearing every day, you were kind of being inundated with like more messages than Ethereum, more volume than Ethereum, all of this stuff. And so that was very interesting. Like for having been around a very long time, like other chains existed, but nobody really used them. Nobody did anything on them. And so we started to think like, okay, what, what could you do if you had this execution environment that's like, you know, you have Ethereum that's that's expensive, secure, but now you have this other environment that's like extremely cheap, like like you probably want to treat everything there as like entirely ephemeral, but like, what could you do with that? So we actually started to build a toy game just for ourselves for fun to see what we could do. And so it was a game, I mean, it was a really stupid game, right? It was like, you open up packs of gladiators on BSC, they, they fight and die. 
And if you like win 10, 10 matches in a row, then you're like freed from the arena. And then you would mint a permanent NFT on Ethereum. And that would be the Got thing it. that had like lasting state. And so everything on BSC was entirely ephemeral, fast, cheap, gameplay, all of that stuff. And then you mint this, this permanent NFT. And so this was like, again, this was just us doing this for ourselves. And then we realized very quickly that like, oh, you can't actually do this without a central coordinator, like triggering events on both chains. We're like, well, well, that sucks. Like that's entirely centralized. It entirely defeats the purpose. And so uh, we were like, okay, but like bridges exist. So, so surely somebody solved this problem. And so we set out kind of looking into existing bridges and frankly, we're like horrified the bridges at the time, like truly horrified. And so then we're like, okay, like this is insane. And so then we set out to, to build actually a better bridge. It was a precursor to Stargate, really focus on on native assets over wrapped assets and in this concept of instant guaranteed finality, which we thought that the end applications would need to have and that all of the volume would be driven kind of at the application layer. And quickly realized in building that like, oh, we, we're still needing to reinvent like the transport layer. And that that very clearly is like the generalizable problem. And, and that's that kind of became layer zero, right? So it was just kind of long and long and winding road of, of problem, 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 and, and, and just kind of chasing what, we, you know, what we've always done and just uh, following problems that are like very interesting to us. And then once we got to the transport layer, it was like, okay, like, how do you build a thing that that isn't just this, you know, it doesn't, doesn't just look like it does the job. It is a centralized thing. Like, like the things we indexed on were entirely immutable, censorship resistant and permissionless. Like those were the only things that we cared about in terms of building the stack. And then you had to make it actually useful for applications now and all of that. But like you had to be able to hit those three things to, to make a protocol that's going to kind of stand the test of time. And that, that brought us where we are today. Love it. Fascinating journey. Okay. So, you know, earlier you were talking about some of the use cases that you've seen. And I, I think I'm curious, I guess the question would be if, if things continue to progress as well as they are, you know, what's different in Web3 or really like what are some second order effects that you guys have noticed or at least paying attention to of, you know, what becomes different for everyone if you guys continue to succeed, right? Yeah, I, I think the end goal for us, and, and, and people always think I'm joking, but I'm, I'm I'm dead serious, right? They're they're like, where do you see layers are in like five to ten years? And I'm you know, literally, I hope that nobody knows about us or talks about us ever in the way that, you know, modern web devs don't need to think about like TCP/IP or like the the OSI model, right? Like these right. things just don't they're they're not part of a of a developer's journey these days for most things you just want to come and build an application and most people don't need to think about that layer like the goal for us is to abstract execution environment and to abstract a lot of this stuff from the end user and enable the developer to create that experience so you know one of the first when, when we launched I, I kind of released this video which got us a lot of traction which was like here is the current experience of like trying to to simply like swap asset a on chain x to asset b on chain y and like the median time for all of the solutions at the time it was probably like 25 minutes and it was like something like 40 or 50 clicks it was insanity and with layer zero it was like a single click that abstracted all the gas so the user clicked once they signed one transaction paid gas in a bundle on source and the whole flow got executed all the way across and so that was like the earliest iteration of this goal for us which is like the end user shouldn't care and like the application should care what chains are on in the environment but the end user is just like they just want to pay a fixed cost and have the experience and that the underlying chains themselves need to like add 
enough value to that that it makes sense. And you see this today with with everything. Like DeFi has found very solid product market fit. Stablecoins have found very solid product market fit. You look now on the on the banking side of things, right? Like the banks don't care. They don't share ethos. Like every bank right now, every single one at most monetary authorities in the world, all of these, they're all working on their own permission chains. They're all doing this. Like they don't care at all about the ethos of the space. They don't care about, you know, any of that. What they care about is, is it actually useful to them and their end customer? Will it save them money? Will it be a more efficient way to issue digital assets? And then the knock-ons of everything, all, all the work that's done in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum and everywhere else, is that like, a lot of these structures will start to merge and you'll have, you know, you will have some of these things in permissionless environments. And so I think the end goal is like, how, like, how do you build something that, that has real long-term viability to the, the, ultimately the end developer who's carrying that on to the consumer. So I hope what the world looks like is that, you know, the users really just focus on the action that you're taking, that you can take, you know, create experience for for customers where the customer doesn't care. The underlying is a fabric that adds inherent value to the developer and the customer, but it's not something they think about in their day to day. And so our goal is, our goal really is that, is like abstracted that away for the for the developer. Love it. Okay. So let's turn and talk a little bit about kind of Web3 writ large here, where, you know, my first question was really going to be like, what do you view as the biggest obstacles to kind of mass Web3 adoption? And sort of linking it to that thought of really like the invisibility or the hoped for invisibility of layer zero, where like, you know, it's it won't be something that it will be so ubiquitous or so usefully ubiquitous that it's it's not part of the usual. It, it won't be seen as something as something radical, right? I'm curious if that, if, if you have any broader thoughts about kind of what else is standing in the way to ubiquity for Web3 adoption? Yeah, it's a question. It's a question that I get a lot. And I, I probably have like a, a different answer than most. Having, having been here for a very, very, very long time at this point, like if you went back even three to four years ago, go back four years and ask me, you know, if we'll be where we are today, like I would have put it at a decade plus out. So like people always want adoption to be faster and consumer adoption to come. Like I actually think it has been insane how quickly like things like S&P 500 companies holding uh, crypto on their balance sheets to, you know, JP Morgan running a 500 person team and building their own blockchain. Like all this stuff just seemed insane not that long ago. A hundred plus billion dollars of stable coins living on chain. Uniswap hitting like $2 trillion in overall volume. You have DeFi primitives. Now we have, we have options on chains. We have perps on chain. We have, uh, again, trillions of dollars of, of spot volume trading on chain. Uh, lending protocols are, are something that are, are, immensely useful in so many different use cases you're seeing emergent markets whether it's turkey or argentina all these places starting to starting to pick up adoption of a bunch of whether whether it's stable coins or whatever it is to like offset the fluctuations in vol and like their local currencies like all of this stuff is stuff that was was fiction to us not that long ago and so like would i like to see it go faster and do i want end consumer adoption like yes but i actually think like the pace that things are moving at is is incredible and generally i'm like i'm pretty happy with the way things are moving so like what's what's going to need to happen it's we're going to need to have more scale. We're going to need to be able to have developers like obviously need to find a way to limit the amount of hacks in the space that are happening. Like security surfaces are just still massive. Um, I think there's a ton of smaller things, but everything is is really iterative for the most part. And you talk like, I like crypto because there's a really like 
really interesting balance. And I'll, I'll give a I'll give a couple of examples. You have like the the ultra opportunists who are like here now. The question is like, how do I make money right now? What do I do right now today? And then you have like I I, I love Ellie from Starkware because I'm always talking. He's telling me about like the new research they're doing, and I'm like, oh, it sounds amazing. Like, when is that coming? And he's like, like eight years. I'm just like, what? Like eight years? Like it's like so far. He's taking like such a long term view to things. But then you have people uh, who are even like more extreme. I spent a I spent a dinner talking to Justin Drake about about one shot signatures and just like what that could do. I was like, this is one of the most interesting ideas I've I've spoken about and spent time thinking about for like a, a very long time. I was like, you know, when do you think this will be useful in application in like Ethereum? And he's like, yeah, like maybe like 30 years from now. Um, so there are just like <laughs> levels. There's levels to to that side of the long-term horizon lens. And what I love about this space is that we do have those people who are so like passionately pursuing things on a on a really long-term, like, you know, something that they might like solve in their lifetime, but it's going to be like on the, on the mid to tail end of that. And that's, that's crazy to me, but it's amazing. And so, no, I, I think we're doing all of the right things. I think we have the, the mixes of the right people who are working on like commercial applications now versus working on like, how, how do you make this really like something that's forever? And I, I just think that's incredibly rare and super important. So I'm, I'm happy with where we're at in adoption. I think we're just continuously moving in the right direction. Love it. Okay. So next question would be, You've mentioned you like the pace. You've mentioned, I mean, you kind of, you actually answered a few of what I was, a few questions of what I was going to ask in that one thought. But beyond pace, like from your vantage point as a founder, what do you view as some of the more exciting trajectories for Web3? Yeah. So I think there's two sides. There's trajectories in terms of application. There's trajectories in terms of like what what is actually interesting technology-wise. So technology-wise, like I think there's no question that Zero knowledge stuff at the moment is is probably the most exciting thing happening within the space. I think there there, you know, I think we've gone through cycles where there was always something really interesting. And go back kind of a year or two ago, and I was like, listen, outside the problem that you know we're working on, there nothing has gotten me like very excited. And I I, I was a huge skeptic of of zk stuff when it comes to to interoperability to messaging in general. I, I spent a lot of time sort of arguing with with Dan uh, Dan Bonet. And just in general about a lot of this, but I think the broad applications to what ZK can provide in, in terms of just compression in general makes makes a huge, and yes, like privacy component is interesting. A lot of this stuff is interesting, but but purely from the compression side, I think is one of the most interesting and impactful things that is happening at the moment. I mean, I think state blue is a, is a problem in a, a lot of different structures. So I think the ZK stuff is very interesting. From the application side, like, listen, again, I think iteratively we're doing all of the things that need to be done. I, I think the largest applications are still continuing to churn just an unbelievable amount of volume. It is very clear that there is real market for, for what they're providing and that, you know, Again, you can just see it in, in all of the metrics, whether it's whether it's Uniswap's growth, whether it's stablecoin growth, all of this. I think the most interesting or surprising thing to me, again, is is more on the, the institutional side, the banking segment. I, I thought it would be so so far out before that was really considered. But there's a there's a world where like bonds, leapfrog infrastructure. There's a world where a bunch of asset issuance does. There's in in more than that. Again, I thought, okay, there's a world, but like they're they're gonna stay entirely permission to permission chains and they're just gonna have this, you know, their own database that that is a little bit more resilient, I guess. 
But no, a lot of them are talking about like, how do they open up to permissionless structures? How do you do this on global scale? And like those conversations are interesting. I'm not sure what will actually come of that and what the end game impact will be. And again, I still see it as kind of probably years away before you see that really rolling out in production. But but I think it's it's interesting to think that what we started, you know, thinking about so literally so long ago, like I remember and in you know the, again the, the very earliest days for me like just shit posting on bitcoin talk and everybody you know it, like everybody who got in at the time was was very hard libertarian skew for the most part like the ethos was what brought most of us into the space either ethos or application and it really was like about disrupting the financial system and now i'm sitting here and i'm like like there's a chance that we might act, you know, there's a chance we might actually do it. This thing might happen, might not be in the way that like all of us thought in the beginning. It might not be the way that all of us sort of love the most, but there, there is a world where this truly disrupts the future of like the financial rails in a, in a way that I, you know, I think we all hoped for, but maybe nobody really, really believed was, was going to happen, at least not in the time frame that it has, which is amazing. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So Brian, a couple last questions here for you. If you could kind of time machine back to the beginning of maybe just layer zero journey. I'm curious, you know, what would your advice be to your earlier self kind of knowing what you know now about, I mean, you, you had experience before, but I, I think I'm trying to get it here. Like, you know, what crypto specific founder advice would you have that maybe would have been useful had someone imparted it to you at the beginning of the layer, layer zero journey? Yeah. I mean, obviously, listen, our, our journey has been as, as far right tail as, as humanly possible for the most case. And, you know, what what would I impart? Okay. I think the the biggest thing I would do differently if I was doing it, you know, I have a ton I can talk about on, on fundraising and all that, especially like for us, for us, literally when we raised our round at six, you know, we raised 6.4 million kind of early on. And we were like, that is the last money we will ever raise. Like we had zero intention to ever do another raise, to ever do anything else. And, and, and here we are, uh, you know, you know, much later having, having done multiples more. But I think the biggest thing is when we launched, like the space is so fickle in terms of sort of narrative and alignment, like so, so, so fickle. I remember Kobe gave me this amazing piece of advice early on, which was like, when you're launching, like you should write a refutation article, right? Lido did this early. I think they did an amazing job of it. And it's like, listen, here are here is like the state of the world and implementation, and it's imperfect now, but here's like the end state. Here is what we're shooting for. And for us, we we thought, you know, we looked at every every other messaging protocol that existed and said, like, there's no way this will work, either won't work in EVM or it is basically entirely centralized, right? In the form of contracts are fully upgradable. Uh, they can rug the end application at any time. You have some middle chain where like every application on every paired chain is just inherently like trusting authority delegation from this, like all of these issues that were sort of pervasive in every structure. And we said, listen, again, the things that we cared about were permissionless, immutable, censorship resistant. And so it's like, we build this thing that has entirely mutable endpoints, cannot ever change. Every application has the ability to have complete control over their own security, completely permissionless, such that anybody can come in and provide, anybody can run infrastructure, anybody can play that role. It is like, literally, you can build on layer zero and never touch or interact with layer zero at all, right? We don't matter in terms of layer zero labs. We're not a part. It is a protocol that will exist 
until the end of time or until Ethereum makes breaking changes with or without us and entirely censorship resistant in a way that like others just aren't like complete non-sorter enforcement, really, really adhering to like the ethos of the things that we cared about in the space. But we just launched it. We're like, okay, we're, we're going to launch this thing. We think it meets all the criteria for what a protocol should look like and what it allowed by not making that refutation article, by not spending the time to like go through and, and, and sort of pre-debate all of these things. It allowed people to just take the current implementation, like imagine the launch, you know, launch Ethereum and, and look at the validator set in the earliest days compared to like the validator set now and just be like, oh, well, this thing, this thing sucks, right? Like, like right. it wasn't like, it wasn't our goal at the time ever to like, own the validation layer. We want to build the transport layer where the validation methodology can evolve. We've seen that happen. We saw like it started with a simple TSS and then Chainlink came on and then Google came on and then Polyhedra came on, which is like an entirely entire ZK Lite client doing like full ETH consensus. So like this has started to evolve. We'll see more and more groups go into that. And like that was the point. That's what a permissionless structure should be. But, we, but what people saw are, hey, this thing, you know, is starting with the, you know, this, this TSS and like, that sucks. And it's not decentralized enough. And we're like, we agree, like, you know, come in and build the thing right, that will do that, right. right? We're building the structure so that you can do that. And I think it really, really just alignment wise, like made it very difficult from our end of just like, like, you know, we were fighting this battle that wasn't even the battle that we chose to fall. We're fighting something that to us didn't matter at all. And so, yeah, I think I think that is the biggest thing that I would change is I think a lot of people early on saw that sort of got jaded and overlooked like the underlying of the protocol. And again, now now fast forward adoption wise, everything else wise, like we're incredibly happy with where things are. But I think it just made life way harder than it needs to be. And like there were just so many conversations. So messaging wise, I think it just matters to really, really be as transparent as humanly possible and get across like what you're trying to do in the trade-offs and why you built things the way that you built. Like, I think people care about that stuff and I don't think we did it enough. Fascinating. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's terrific advice. So Brian, last question here, what's your team working on right now and what's the best way for people to follow along on the journey? Yeah. I mean, what we're working on right now is I, I, I can't say like too much about what we're doing, but like we really have been heads down for a long time. It's been 18 months since we've launched. We have learned a lot, a lot in 18 months. And the next like six months, we're going to be shipping a, a lot. So, I mean, we have put a huge amount of time and effort into some of the things that we're going to be releasing. We're super, super excited about them internally. We'll, we'll all be sort of cu- coming out soon. So we're, we're, we're very, very excited internally, like very big, big couple of months ahead, which is, which is awesome. I think when you spend a lot of time on technology and are sort of an internal culture of shipping quickly, it, it becomes hard as things take longer than you want them to. I think everybody is excited to see some of these things in the world, but but we're we're really, I don't know, couldn't, couldn't be happier with kind of where things are there. Yeah, and then how people can follow along, layer zero, the, the Twitter, layer score under, layer zero underscore labs is is the primary Twitter. Obviously you can follow me on Primordial AA, but I'm, I'm maybe less of an interesting follow. Uh, I shit post too much and, you know, post, post, technical commentary a decent amount but it'll definitely be a mixed bag but yeah i mean find us find us on telegram discord twitter twitter is definitely where uh, we live the most perfect ryan thank you so much super excited to see everything coming out in the next six months and uh, yeah really appreciate your time so have a great rest of your week here and take care amazing thank you so much for having me all right see you brian